Salam everyone and welcome back to Nurain, the Two Lights podcast. Um, as always, my name is Sumeya and this is Asil. Um, and before we get started with this episode, I just want to give a little <laughs> disclaimer that our brain cells are pretty low and, you know, right now. <laughs> so we're going to try to make this episode work. Um, inshallah, we will do a decent enough job. Um, another update, we just had our very first workshop over the weekend, um, and that was super exciting. Thank you for everyone who came out. Um, anyway, Ramadan is in three-ish weeks, actually less than three weeks now, which is really, really crazy. So in light of preparing for Ramadan, um, we wanted to do an updated dua episode, um, we did a dua episode. It was our very second episode that we ever put out on this podcast. So like a year and a half ago, almost. Um, and neither one of us have heard that episode in a very long time. So I'm not even sure what we said <laughs> in that episode, but, um, inshallah today we kind of want to give a little bit more insight um, just add a little bit more information, more depth. I think that we've also just grown a lot as people. So there's more things we can provide here, I guess, more pieces of advice, more wisdom, um, whatever the case may be. Um, so that's the goal for today. We know that dua is such a crucial act of worship. Um, and it's one that, of course, we should be practicing all throughout the year, multiple times a day, having that connection with Allah. But again, of course, because Ramadan is coming soon, we did just want to put this episode out. Um, and yeah, I'm going to pass the baton over to Asil here. It seems and... like there's going to be a lot of passing the baton to... <laughs> well, like, I have nothing else to say, so <laughs> please pick up after me. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So like Sumaya said, the last time we recorded an episode about dua, all I remember from the episode, and I I don't even, I don't even want to think, but all I remember are our bloopers and your dua journey, which I don't even know what that was about, okay? But the bloopers were hilarious, though. <laughs> like, we still laugh about the bloopers from that episode. That's really funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never hear them, but I, that, look, bloopers at the beginning used to be crazy. Oh, yeah. like, we would be laughing oh, yeah. for like 15 minutes about, I don't even know what anymore. Um, but yeah, so today we are going to be talking about du'a. And I think du'a is such an important topic, such an important concept, because um, regardless of where you are in terms of your level of iman, regardless if you're highly knowledgeable about Islam or someone that is just starting to practice, um, regardless if you're in an iman high or an iman low, your du'a is always going to be relevant to every single person that's listening is what I'm trying to get at. And that takes me to the hadith um, where the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam basically he said that du'a in its essence is ibadah. Du'a in its essence is worship. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think the purpose of this episode is really going to be kind of explain in an overarching sense why we should see that hadith, see why it's so strong, and how we can implement that into our very own lives, right? Because you have to realize first and foremost, when you think of that, right, dua 
is in its essence ibadah. And I think when I think of that, I think of the fard things, the things that are obligatory, the things that we have to do, right? So prayer, fasting, for example, those two are big ones. Even like reading Qur'an or just being attached to the Qur'an in general. You'll find that throughout all of the obligatory things that we have to do, dua is embedded, it's woven in somehow, right? Where are you the closest to Allah SWT when you're in sujood? Where are you recommended to make dua when you are in sujood, right? The dua of the fasting person is always accepted. Throughout the Qur'an, there are so, so many du'as that are listed, whether it be you know, from the prophets or whomever. Their dua is such a relevant topic. And I think we, when you understand the importance of dua, you understand the, almost like in its, in its essence, a quote-unquote superpower that it unlocks, you're, it's going to be revolutionary in your life. It's going to be really um, life-changing. So I'm not going to keep talking. I'm going to ask a question for Samaya. Unless, I mean, I can talk. I can, so. Good. Okay. Um, but du'a, really, it's one of the number one indicators of your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It demonstrates that you understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, you know his names. You know his attributes. You know that he can and he will provide for you if he wills, right? Often, we go to the wrong source seeking help, right? I think that's something that we all do in this life. We go to the things that we can literally see. We go to the means that we literally see. We go to the people around us, right? And we think that because they're physically right there or they might be intertwined in whatever the problem may be, that they can provide the help. But I'm here to tell you that doing that, and there's an analogy from Yasmin Mugahed, and she says that it's like a beggar going to a beggar. Because mm-hmm. in the reality, we are all beggars going to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At the end of the day, if he is not your primary source, um, you're going to everyone else who is also begging. He has those, um, the the ultimate key that can unlock all the doors in its essence, right? And so when we have to realize that we are all in our natures just equally beggars, we don't have the means or capabilities of doing anything unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't rely on people? No, but that means that du'a, turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should always be your primary. It should always be your first step. And then from there, you'll see Allah's help manifest, whether it be through people, whether it be through through things, whether it be through whatever, right? Um, so I kind of just wanted to give that slight introduction as to why du'a is so important. Um, yeah. I was waiting for your question. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I was like, wait, where is she going with this? I'm sorry. No, but I- actually, before you even <laughs> ask me anything, I think it's so powerful how you brought up how we go to everyone except for the one who can actually change our circumstances. And I think I mentioned this in a episode that we put out recently. I don't remember which one, but I said that, you know, oftentimes we go to Allah as sort of a last resort, right? We go to everyone else first. It feels like we've tried every other door and then we're like, man, I'm just going to go make a dot now, right? But the thing is we should go to Allah first, that should be your first course of action. That du'a should be your first course of action. Um, and I think that that's really indicative too of where your relationship is with Allah. Like, are you going to Allah as a last resort? Or are you going to Allah first before you even do anything, right? Like you're you're making du'a about this thing. Maybe you haven't even done it yet. You haven't even embarked on this journey yet, but you're making du'a first and then you start and then you seek other means of help. But Allah is the first and the most consistent one that you keep going to. 
Um, and I, I also think, you know, and this is something I did mention, I think, in that first or that, you know, Dua episode that we had put out a really long time ago. But I mentioned how a big game changer for me and my Dua was actually believing in the power of my Dua and believing in myself, right? When I changed my perspective, right? Because I would make Dua, but then I would be like, but I'm never going to be able to do that. I'd make Dua for something, but I wouldn't believe that I'm capable. And I feel like that messed up so much. So when you go to Allah as a last resort, are you actually believing that he's going to grant you your dua? Because to me, that seems like, mm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, right? For example, if you go to a person last, you've asked so many people and you go to one person last, do you really have confidence that they can help you? Because you would have gone to them first if you fully believed they could do something for you. If you fully believed they were the right person to help you. So it's very similar when it comes to dua, when it comes to going to everyone else, all the other worldly means first, and then you go to Allah as a last resort. Are you actually believing that he's going to respond to you? Are you actually believing that he has the power and the capability to change your circumstance around? And the answer is probably not. Otherwise, you would have gone to him first and you would have gone to him throughout the entire process, always continuously. Um, and when you don't believe in that, the dua, honestly, it's not, doesn't really serve much of a purpose, right? Allah tells us that he is as we expect him to be. So if you don't expect Allah to give you what you need, what you want, what situate, whatever, you know, uh, relief from the situation, if you don't believe that that is what Allah will do for you, then Allah is exactly how you expect him to be. So anyway, no, I go ahead really and ask like your that question a lot. Well, <laughs> You kind of sort of answered it okay. when you were talking about the power of du'a, and I was going to ask you like something along the lines mm-hmm. of to you, what significance, significance does du'a hold? And you kind of answered that through the, the power response. But I think something you really touched on, which is really interesting, is this concept of having a good opinion of Allah, concept of husnadhan billah, right? You know, you understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you, like going back to my point earlier, you understand his names, you understand his attributes, and therefore you know that he can make the impossible possible, right? For you, if you, if you, if you have sincerity with what you're asking, right? And you understand that, like Sumaya said, like he is capable of providing it for you, he will provide it for you from places that you will never even imagine, right? But first, that's that first step of recognition. That's that first step in in understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ultimate power and having a good opinion of him, right? You can't just make du'a like Samaya said and then just be like, whatever, you know? Oh right. man, like God's not going to give it. me good any, no anything way, good right. anyway. Astaghfirullah, you know, like we don't think like that, right? We shouldn't think like that. And the reality is when, especially when you're making du'a, whether it be something you're struggling with or you're stressed out or whatever the situ- however the situation may be unfolding, a lot of the times we do have those whispers from shaitan. We do have those whispers from within us that are telling us that this is impossible, that you're not going to make it, that whatever, X, Y, or Z, that you're not strong enough to get through, right? But don't let those things stop you from making du'a. There are so many obstacles when it comes to du'a, when it comes to fully relying on Allah. And I feel like not having a good opinion of Allah and not realizing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of giving you what you desire, giving you what's best. And then we're going to talk about that later, I think. Um, I'm like Maybe. saying this like we planned it, but that's something I think we can touch on a little later. But um, man, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, that that right there is the biggest obstacle. And so there are a couple of ayat that I want to highlight 
which can I put in first? Yes, go ahead. So you were talking about how you should make dua even when you don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I feel like is so important. I feel like we tend or we, we tend to see that people, right, when they when they hit these little iman lows or whatnot, they almost just stop doing everything. And I've mentioned this in countless episodes, but you can't expect to come out of an Iman low if you stop practicing. And I understand that when you're in that situation, you don't necessarily feel like it. You don't feel like praying or making dua or whatever. Like that's the whole that's the whole premise. It's an Iman low. But you have to push through, right? Maybe you're not giving it the amount that you were giving it before, the percentage that you were giving it before, the excellence that you were giving it before, but do something. That's the only way you're going to come out of that. For me recently, I've been finding that it's been more difficult for me to make dua. And I don't mean it's difficult for me to come and like pray to Allah, but it's very difficult for me to actually I guess, vocalize the things that are on my mind, or it's been more difficult for me to, I don't know, you guys understand what I'm saying though. And sometimes I just want to say like, that's okay. It's okay for you to not always know what you want to say or know what you want to ask for, or just feel kind of defeated in a way. Like you don't even know necessarily why you're feeling this way, but you're just feeling down. You're not feeling the best. You're not feeling like you normally feel. You're going through something. You're struggling with something. That does have an impact on you on so many areas of your life. And one of those areas will be dua. If you're someone who consistently makes dua, you'll notice that sometimes, depending on what's happening in your life, you're not having these super great conversations with Allah as you normally do. But the point is that you show up anyway. Show up anyway, and even even if it's a two-minute dua versus whatever 10 minutes that you normally do, it doesn't matter. Do something and just talk to Allah. Tell him, you know what? I don't actually know what to say. I don't actually know what's in my heart. I don't actually know how to get it out, but you know what's in my heart, so just help me. Something that simple reminds you of the purpose of your dua, reminds me, reminds you of your connection with Allah, reminds you of who you're supposed to be relying on. So it's totally fine, I guess is what I'm trying to get at, for you to feel sometimes like it's more difficult for you to talk to Allah about certain things, or it's more difficult for you to say it out loud, right? Or it's, it's more difficult for you not to get super emotional because of how sad you are or stressed or whatever the case may be. But again, when you show up regardless, it really shows you that no matter what situation you're in, you're still going to Allah first. You're still talking to him, right? You're still maintaining that connection and you still believe that he hears you and you still believe that he has the capability to change your situation, to make it better for you. So if you want to come out of that sort of slump where you don't feel like it or it's not coming as easily, which will happen, keep making dua. Again, even if they're just not even anywhere near the level that you normally do. I just wanted to... No, I love that a lot because sometimes you feel like, oh, like you're there's no such thing as having like a stagnant relationship with Allah Mm. subhanahu wa ta'ala right and everything in life there's no such thing as having something perfectly stable you know sometimes you have really good concentration in your prayer and other Mm -hmm. times you just straight up don't you know you have so many things on your mind you have all this psychological noise almost um and that like Samaya is saying can can really affect your du'a but 
first and foremost, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has quote-unquote inspired you to make dua in the first place, he wants to hear it from you even if you don't necessarily know what you're trying to express. Like Samaya was saying, a lot of the times my dua can just be like, please. Like seriously, I will just be like, please. Because you don't necessarily understand how you're feeling. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is closer to us than our own jugular veins. He understands us better than we we understand ourselves. And if he just sees the effort and he just sees that you are sincerely trying to get through this and you're sincerely trying to get through with his help, he's going to make a means. He's going to make ways out of places you didn't even know existed, right? And I think that I can relate a lot to that sometimes. It can just be really, really, really hard. Like sometimes it even gets to a point where you don't know what to say about your du'a anymore. So in a sense, you become numb to making du'a. Mm. And I don't mean that in a way where you just stop yourself. It's just kind of like, I've just been saying this over and over and over again. And I still don't understand how I'm feeling. I still don't necessarily understand. And it's not that you're giving up on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not that you're giving up on his his answer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always responds to the believers who who aren't asking for them to hasten his call, right? Or his response. But it's more of a sense of, you miss the way you may have once felt when you made yes. when you made du'a. You miss the way, I don't know, you had that genuine connection where it wasn't that you were constantly pleading in your du'a. Or you right? almost feel guilty for not giving that same quality yeah. that you were giving before. Because, I mean, he's Rabbil Alameen. He, like, he knows everything, yeah. right? He understands everything. And sometimes it feels like when you can't even understand yourself and that's affecting your relationship with Allah, you do feel bad. Yeah. You do. And, I mean, this might not... Re- relate to everybody but if this relates to you on some level like that's okay like seriously yeah that's that's totally cool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says throughout the Quran but the example I can think of right now is in Surah Al-Ghafir the mm-hmm. 60th ayah like call upon me I will respond to you you know and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says also I think it's Surah Al-Baqarah like when a when a servant respond, ca- yes. calls upon me tell them I am near right I think like ayah 185 186 one of the two right those are crucial reminders. We always say this in our podcast, but indeed the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is true. He is promising us this. He's promising us, promising us not only a response, but he's promising, promising, whoa, he's promising us his closeness. He's promising us that he is going to envelop us in his closeness. That he's going to envelop us in his response, that he is literally right there, right? It doesn't just mean that you make dua and it's like, someone super super far away from you someone that's super distant from you like you're not going to feel any connection with that once the dot is made it's not like someone sending money overseas or whatever the place may be sometimes we make charity we give charity right and you're giving it to an organization but a lot of the times you have no idea how that money is being distributed that's such a silly example but that's not the way allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works when he responds to us the reality is he is going to respond to you and you're going to feel it and sometimes we don't feel it until way way later when you realize you your du'ats have actually been answered when you're living your answered du'at, sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes we get too far into our heads. But feel his closeness. Just try. Just attempt. Whether, Regardless of whether you are in your iman, regardless of, of how, you're, how you're dealing emotionally, right, or cognitively, or whatever the case may be, however you are up there in your mind. <laughs> Psychological. Psychological <laughs> Lord, not cognitively. I was taking notes earlier, y'all. But anyway, however you might feel, right don't let that stop you from feeling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's closeness just try and that's the whole point of du'a that's the whole point it's to have that conversation right when yeah like I don't know how else to put that but I hope that makes sense yeah I think 
you know, Asil was talking about, you know, sometimes you don't see that response to your du'a right away or whatnot. And I, I think something I've been seeing a lot on like social media, um, like a quote that I'm going to butcher, but basically this idea that, you know, how could you, when you're about to make du'a, how could you doubt in Allah's response when you are literally living in the answers to your previous prayers and we forget that you know we come to make dua and we we forget that allah has answered so many of our duas before in ways that we couldn't even think of ways that we couldn't even expect we forget that allah has done those things we forget that we are living in the midst of our answered prayers and we begin to doubt in the in the um answer for this particular one right but i think something that we should often do to remind ourselves um we should remember that like we are literally living our previous du'as right now allah has answered your du'as sometimes we don't see it because we are expecting an answer in just one way and i think that's something that you know of course we have a very limited human mind capacity and we when we're making du'a for something oftentimes we're expecting one thing or we want one thing that's why we're asking for it right we want this specific thing but then allah answers it in a different way and if you're not looking and if you're not aware you wouldn't even notice so i think that's another thing where we have to kind of remind ourselves number one we are living our answered prayers from the past and number two what was number two <laughs> what did i just say I have literally no idea what I just said. That was like five seconds ago, and I cannot even think. I don't remember. Um, well, you get the idea. If you listened, you get the idea. I don't know. My brain literally went blank. Yeah, number one, you're living in the midst of your answered prayers. And number two, was what? What was it? I was paying attention okay, guys, to the first point. Whatever. I have no clue. But what I did want to say... I wanted to ask Asil a question. Oh, yay. Um, you brought up a couple verses about du'a from the Qur'an. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you if you would be willing to share your favorite du'a-related verse in the Qur'an. Oh, that's easy. So <laughs> there are so many verses from the Qur'an that... Um... Okay, there are so many verses from the Qur'an that I feel like really resonate with me. A lot. I think that when you're going through just a rough patch, right? Often you, it's like gotten to a point where you know exactly where to open your mushaf and you know exactly where on the page it is because you just feel so connected to those verses. And I'm not even going to bring up a Quranic dua because there are like so, so, so many. But I'm going to bring up a um, sort of a dialogue. And Samaya has heard me talk about this before in public, but. When I spoke about this um, in a group discussion that we were having, mm -hmm. I didn't discuss, I didn't, I didn't explain why I brought up those verses, but I brought them up because they are exactly what Samaya is saying. They're the verses that really, really touch my heart. Like if someone recites them, I will cry. That's just the way it is, right? Um, and they are the first three, or not the first three, they are in Surah Maryam, the third to the fifth um, well, technically six, fifth, sixth um, ayat in that surah. So I can just tell you the translation at this point. But it is talking about the, con the 
the dua that Prophet Zakaria made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he was in this desperate, desperate place where he was yearning and wanting something so incredibly badly, right? And so he said, and, and, and the translation goes as follows, when he cried out to his Lord privately saying, my Lord, surely my bones have become brittle and my gray hair has spread across my head, but I have never been disappointed in my prayer to you, my Lord. And I'm concerned about the faith of my relatives after me since my wife is barren. So give me by your grace an heir, right? Who will inherit prophethood from me and the family of Yaqub and make him, O Lord, pleasing to you. I love these ayats so, so much because first when you look at it linguistically and you see the way certain words are put together, you realize the true depth of, of this call, right? He's asking for something that is impossible, like absolutely impossible. His wife is barren. How is he going to have another kid, right? But first and foremost, the reason why he's calling out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not something for his own. Well, yes, it's for his own personal happiness. He really wants a child, but it's more than that. It's that he wants his relatives after him to continue this succession, to continue this sort of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It's so much deeper than that. It's something so incredibly sincere. It's, it's, it's really... It's beautiful, right? And this call, it was such a private, quiet call, but it was yelled out from the bottom, the depth of his heart, right? It was such a quiet yet loud call. And what fascinates me afterward is after this sequence of ayat, the, the angels literally come down to him and basically tell him, you know, that you your prayers have been answered, you're going to be given a child. And he's like, wait, like what? And he doesn't believe it. Like he can't believe what what this miracle Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has has um, basically bestowed upon him. And in the ninth ayah it says, An angel replied, So will it be your Lord says, It is easy for me for me just as I created you before when you were nothing. And he and, and Zechariah in the tenth ayah he says, Grant me a sign. Like my Lord grant me a sign. And he responded, your sign is that you will not be able to speak for it. Then it goes into the sign, right? It talks about that. But like, it's not only the power of his dua. Like I can, I, I feel like I can almost feel it every single time I read and recite these verses, but it's not only the power of this dua. It's also that even afterwards, he had such a human reaction of like, wait, what? Like this is actually happening for me. This is real, you know? And then he went to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again and made another dua. It comes to show that you don't just make dua, you get what you want and you move on with your life. You make dua, you see it, you're thankful, and then you continue making dua, right? That right there is the prophetic model. That right there is the formula. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think that these are the same verses that I mentioned um, in our very, very, very first dua episode. But the meaning for me over time has changed has changed incredibly. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of like the prophetic formula for making dua that I I will always hold my heart to. And I have one more ayah, but I'm just going to let you do your, your thing. I really love that. I feel like the first time I really understood the meaning of that part, it was so life-changing, honestly, because... Even though I had, again, recited these verses a lot, have had them memorized for a long time, I never actually knew what that phrase meant until recently. And so when I found that, right, when I heard it, I was like, that is probably one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Like, I don't know, it's so crazy. It's like, like Asil was saying, Prophet Zakaria, 
is asking Allah for something that seems impossible. Something that like, he's like, my wife literally is barren. She can't have kids, but I want a kid anyway. And this shows you that even when something feels impossible to you, ask the one who nothing is impossible for, right? He's making this dua, something that again, seems like it just can never happen. And what he said is, I have never been pretty much let down or, or upset or saddened by my dua to you, by my prayer to you. So do we feel that way? And when I, when I, again, when I first really understood these meanings, I was like, I started using it in my own dua. You know, honestly, as a reminder to myself that I have never been displeased in Allah's response, right? So I really love that. I think for me, I have a few, but I would say that one of my biggest ones is Surah An-Naml at the end, towards the end, um, I want to say verse 62. Um, Allah says, إِذَا دَعَى I think that, that is, that's also one of the most beautiful things, uh, genuinely, because Allah says pretty much like who else is going to respond to the call of the desperate. And I think that this is so interesting because you know, we we do make dua when we're desperate. And we tend to see that people make more dua when they are in this desperation state, right? They're in this condition where they want something so badly. But it, it also goes to show you that, like, it's okay for you to be desperate for something and ask Allah for it, right? It's okay for you to find yourself in those situations. Allah specifically responds to the call of the desperate people. Allah says, who responds to the call of the desperate people? It's a rhetorical question. He's the one who does that, mm -hmm. right? So when you're feeling that desperation, go to Allah. Go to Allah regardless, whether you're desperate, whether you're happy, you know, when things are going perfectly fine. That's what also something I want to mention is that, you know, you should be making dua all the time, not just when you need something, but just in general. Even if your dua consists of just like telling Allah about how your day went, um, all the things that you're thankful for in your day, certain things that maybe are on your mind, literally like just like a little ranting session that transforms your dua game as well. When you see Allah as a friend, someone that you can just talk to, it doesn't have to be this like formality. Um, but Allah is literally telling us, he responds to the call of the desperate prayer when they call, or of the desperate person when they call upon him, right? So I, I just really love that because I think a lot of the time, yeah, like we do make dua when we're desperate, but also sometimes we don't. Sometimes we become so, overcome by all these emotions and these feelings and we just don't even know like what to do so we don't make dua right sometimes that's a thing that people do but know that Allah responds to the call of the desperate he specifically mentioned that you know and in other places in the Quran he does say that he responds to the person who calls upon him right like what Asil was just talking about in the beginning and in Surah Ghafir Allah responds to our calls regardless but then in Surah An-Naml he made a specification I call up or I respond to the call of the desperate person. So I think that that's very powerful. And then another quick one that I want to mention is um, the dua of uh, Prophet Nuh in Surah Al-Qamar when, um, when he says, um, I am desperate, basically, so help me. I'm trying to think of the Arabic. It was literally just in my head. Uh, right? I have been defeated. 
I've been defeated, so intercede, help me, right? That's a really powerful one that I use all the time. You know, when you feel like that weight is just so heavy, when you feel like you're going through a lot or whatever, like you're just in this situation, it's so stressful, whatever. Ask Allah, tell him, I can't. I can't do this, <laughs> right? I feel defeated, so help me. You're the only one that can do that. And when Asid was talking about this, um, this sense of like asking Allah for the impossible, right? Uh, just like Prophet Zakaria did. It reminds me of the, the dua of uh, Prophet Sulaiman in Surah Salat. And I, I definitely have mentioned this in previous episodes. But it's so interesting to me how Prophet Sulaiman, I mean, he starts off his dua, So he's asking for forgiveness from something. And it's not really detailed what in, in the actual surah. But he's asking for forgiveness from something. But then he makes like... He makes a dua and he's asking Allah for like huge, something huge, something tremendous. And I know I've mentioned this before as well, but a lot of the time we feel like when we have done something wrong, we don't even want to ask Allah for anything. We feel kind of ashamed to do that. We're like, I just did this sin. How am I now going to come and ask you to provide me with stuff when I just displeased you, when I just disobeyed you? But Prophet Sulaiman was asking for forgiveness from whatever it was that he was asking for forgiveness from. And then he says, He's asking Allah for a kingdom that is so large that no one else will ever have a kingdom like that. No one else will ever have wealth like that. We can't even imagine this because we see some pretty crazy things, right? We see some pretty extravagant things nowadays. But he went from asking or from, yeah, from asking for forgiveness for something that he had done, immediately asking Allah for a huge kingdom, something huge. So this shows you that you shouldn't be shy in the way that you ask Allah for things, right? Again, nothing is impossible for Allah. Don't be shy to ask him. Don't feel afraid to ask him. Believe in the power of your istighfar. Believe in the power of your dua. And believe truly that Allah is going to provide for you. Even if you don't understand how, and even if it's not in the way that you were expecting. But those are just a couple verses that I could think of right now. No, I love that a lot. And I think when you were talking about the desperate person, right, that is specified in that ayah, What's interesting is I think that specification, at least for me, it speaks volume because often the desperate person is the one that feels the most helpless and the one that feels the most helpless is not going to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But when you're reminded, when you are literally called on, like you are the desperate person, I will respond to you, right? It gives you so much more hope, right? It gives you, it uplifts you and it brings you from places that, from depths that you didn't realize you truly fell into. Right. In terms of, of whatever that desperation may be. Um, so I think that that specification is, is just needed. But you have to make sure that, you know, the vastness of your vastness of your dua doesn't necessarily have to be conveyed with a vast amount of words. Mm. Right. Sometimes it's just the whisper of the heart. That's all that's needed. Right. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's the one that put that whisper in your heart in the first place. He can understand that he was the creator of the world. He created the world and everything in it. You know, the universe even. So why wouldn't he be able to understand the sense of desperation that you have? And why wouldn't he be able to help you? There's all of these thoughts that always stop us. We overthink it, but sometimes we just have to go for it. Seriously, sometimes we just have to go for it and we just have to, we have to make our dua. And furthermore, sometimes 
you're like, well, yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the state that I'm in. But that's another beautiful lesson from, from the ayat that I that I mentioned for the Zakaria's dua, is that he was complaining about things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already knew about. He was, a, a, he, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that made his bone brittle. And, you know, and all of these things, right? But he was complaining not from a sense of literal complaining and blaming Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from his state, but as a sense of expressing what he needs and expressing his, his desperate situation. Situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all listening. That doesn't necessarily just mean that he, he literally hears like he's always listening to you, right? Well, that's what that literally means. But to, to another extent, it also means that he's always going to listen to you when you're making dua. Whether it be just a little ranting session that you're having with him, or whether it be something far, far deeper, even if the smallest things... You know, I always use the example of trying to find a parking spot on campus because that's such a relevant, that's such a relevant du'a for me, right? But it's not that just because it's not this vast du'a coming from a sense of deep and utter desperation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to answer. No, that's not the case at all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears all the whispers of the heart. He hears all of the words that come off your tongue. He hears all. He sees all. And you need to recognize that, especially when it comes to making du'a. I have two more Ayat, and they're not talking specifically about du'at, but I like to I like to keep them in mind whenever it comes to sort of having this husnadun billah, sort of having this um, optimistic mindset of Allah. And these du'at, these ayat um, give me, I suppose, motivation to make du'at sometimes when it feels like all hope is lost, right? And so the first one, it's in Ali Imran. It's ayat, I think, one ninety uh, one. Yes, 191. And it says, Those who are remember Allah while standing, sitting, and lying on their sides, and reflect on the creation of the heavens and the earth, and pray, Our Lord, you have not created this all without a purpose. Now pause. First, the description at the beginning. When you truly understand the sort of the power that du'at holds, when you truly understand its its significance and its and its huge part that it plays in your life, you're always going to rely on du'a. You'll find that you'll always have a du'a in your heart or on the tip of your tongue or something. It'll become embedded within you and you'll fit into this description of those that remember Allah while they're sitting, standing and lying on their sides, right? Then it goes on to talk about, and it literally says a du'a, my Lord, you have not created all of this without a purpose. Sometimes it feels like the hardships that we face in life are purposeless. Sometimes it makes us feel purposeless. Sometimes it just feels like it's never ending, like you don't understand the lesson out of it. But the reality is when you've become one of these people that remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while you're standing, sitting, and lying on your side, you realize that everything, everything, you know, even the slip of the tongue or whatever it may be, all of that was created with a purpose. All of that was created for you to learn from it. There's no such thing as coincidence. There is no such thing as, oh, just luck. No, that's the qadr of Allah. That's that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed to happen. So part of making dua, especially when you are that desperate person, is recognizing that whatever you're whatever it is that you're going through has a purpose. It does whether it be to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to better understand a situation or to protect you from something, it all has a purpose. And then there's another ayah in Surah um, Yunus, and it's ayah 107. And it says, and I'm going to really emphasize on the middle portion, but it says, and if Allah touches with you, you with harm, none can undo it without, um, except for him. And if he intends good for you, none can withhold it except for him. Now this goes back to the whole point of sometimes it feels like what you're asking for is 
is unimaginable. Like somebody was talking about Prophet Suleiman's du'at, or I'm talking about Prophet Zakaria's du'at, or whatever the case may be. Sometimes you feel like what you're asking for is, it's just like, that's never going to happen. But the reality is, if it's good for you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for you to have it, He will give it to you. I mean, even in the Quran, it says if every if everyone on earth came to try and withhold, well, I'm totally butchering this, but you get the point, came and tried to with, stop something, they can never stop what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is planning on giving to you. That's the lesson from whatever it is that I'm referencing right now. My brain is super... Anyway, um, but seriously that right there so when you make dua you remember that that if it's bad for me it's not going to be given to me unless if, if that's what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills right but all, the opposite is also true even if the whole world came together to stop something if allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed for it to happen it's going to happen to you regardless right if it's good for you it's going to happen to you regardless because that's what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed and there's a hadith that I want to mention real fast, and it's talking about the three different ways a du'a is accepted. And Sumaya was talking about this earlier, how sometimes it's accepted the way you exactly want it, and other times, I think this is where you lost your train of thought, actually, earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. Anyway, we have to listen back to it and be like, we need well. to figure that out. <laughs> but there are three different ways a du'a is accepted. And among them, it's... it's um, he will give you one of three answers. He will quickly fulfill your supplication. He will store it for him or that person in the hereafter. Or um, he will divert an evil similar of it, right? And so we can we can break down all three of those. But the first, which I think is probably the most, on our, our minds at least, it seems like it's the most rewarding, right? He will, quickly, he will quickly fulfill his supplication. He's going to give you exactly what you ask for. You're asking for that parking spot, you're going to find it right there. Because that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for you. And the rest have such more and deeper and profound meaning. And I want to ask Maya for her opinion on the other two, I guess, because we could talk about those forever, I think. So, yeah, first one is that Allah's going to give you exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. um, I think the one that's the most profound is that Allah's going to save it for the hereafter, right? You're going to go on the day of judgment and be like, what is all of this? What are all of these deeds? Like, where did all of this come from? And Allah's going to say, well, these are all of the du'as that I didn't give you in the way that you wanted in, in you know, again, I don't want to say in this life, because if you're on the day of judgment, it's not the same life anymore. But um, these are all of your unanswered prayers. All the prayers that you thought were unanswered that Allah was really just saving for you in the hereafter. And it's funny because I used to when I was younger, like when I wanted something really bad, I'd be like, Look, Allah, like, I know that on the Day of Judgment, I'm going to wish that none of these dot were answered in this life, but I really need this thing, so please. <laughs> um, but, and it was funny, because as Asil was talking, I was just thinking about that. But I think it's really interesting how a lot of us, and, you know, myself included, we have this sort of, like, one-dimensional view of, like, this life. Like, we just want things in this life. And the whole purpose of our religion is to do things in this life for a life that we don't know of, a life that we don't see, a life that we can't really um, imagine. So I feel like when you do experience those things where you make dua for something so bad and you don't get it, it's not that it's the end of the world. Maybe Allah's favoring you so that when you go on the day of judgment, you have all of these, all of these amazing rewards and you're just like, what is all of this? It's so significant too that, um, I don't know if this is a hadith, I think it might be, but um, we're going to 
go and see all of the all of these deeds and see how all of our unanswered du'as manifested and we're going to wish that we never got a single du'a answered in this world mm-hmm. we're going to wish that we never had any du'a answered here we're going to wish we could have had all of that for the akhirah and that's something we can't really fathom we can't really fully grasp understanding of this concept again because we're so uh quick to just want this immediate gratification we're so quick to just like you know, come to Allah, we just want something so bad and we expect to get it. But, and, and of course, Allah grants it to us most of the time. You know, I think we can all pretty much say that. But when we go on the day of judgment, we're going to wish that Allah would have saved all of these, all of these du'as we made for the hereafter. And I think that that is really significant. Before I forget, um, I did want to kind of go back uh, before Asid mentioned this um, this uh, hadith or the way that the three or the three ways that the dua are answered, um, and and take it back a little bit to the Quranic verses, I just want to add another one on there that I felt was so powerful. So we recently completed our study of Surah Az-Zumar, and there's a portion of the beginning of an ayah, a very small portion, just a few words that were so incredibly powerful again and this is i feel like a very common theme in the past few episodes i keep saying i'm like i've known this suda my whole life and i never really understood the magnitude of this phrase until so recently but allah says something that is literally my lock screen right now on my phone and it's because i want that constant reminder when we're making dua and this goes back to do you believe in the power of your dua do you believe allah can give you everything that you are asking for Allah tells us, And I think that that is incredible. I mean, I'm telling you, like it hit me just a few weeks ago and I was like, whoa, I've never actually stopped and thought about those words when I was reciting the surah in the past. Allah says, is Allah not sufficient for his servants? Do you believe that Allah is sufficient for you or not? Allah is asking a rhetorical question. A question that you'd be like, well, duh, like, of course he is. But do we actually act upon that? Do we make dua acting upon that? Do we actually believe that Allah is enough for us? Do we believe that he's sufficient for us? And it's not just something that you can say. It's something that you really have to believe, right? When you're making that dua, do you believe Allah's going to grant it to you if it's what's best for you? Or do you feel like I'm not so sure, right? Do you feel like Allah is taking care of you? He is watching out for you. All of these things, isn't he enough for you, right? And I feel like that's something that we have to just continuously remind ourselves of. You know, every time you're going through something or you feel a certain way or things feel really difficult or you're about to take on this, you know, very challenging task or whatever the case may be, is Allah enough for you? Allah is asking you. Like, take that in a singular form. Is Allah not enough for me? Specifically, because when you're reading the Qur'an and reciting the Qur'an, you're supposed to personalize the verses that you're reading. How does this apply to me? So ask yourself, because Allah is asking you a question, is Allah not enough for me? Do I act like he's enough for me? Right? And there's so many different ways that you can kind of act upon this. And I'm not going to get into them because that's kind of outside of the premise of this episode. But 
isn't Allah enough for you? Remind yourself of that. Ask yourself that question just like Allah is asking you that question. Remind yourself of that before you come to make dua every time. And a tip I wanted to kind of throw in here is something that I found to be really um, beautiful. So Sheikh Bilal Asad or Asad, I don't know exactly how he says his name, but he's the Australian Sheikh. He's so, so good. I really, really love his content. Um, but something that I heard him say a couple of times that I really, really love, and it's something that's actually a little bit difficult to do properly, but he says, you know, when you have all these things going on, when you have all these all this noise, like I see it called it, the psychological noise, um, when you have all these things going on in your life, these difficulties or these challenges, and you just feel like you don't want to deal with this anymore, tell Allah that. Tell Allah, all of the stuff that I have, all this weight on my shoulder, I don't want it anymore. I'm giving it to you. And the way that he describes it, he's like, close your eyes and just feel that weight. Feel all of that. All of the stuff that you feel like is weighing down on you. Close your eyes and just tell Allah, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore, so I'm giving it over to you. That's a form of du'a by itself. And it's very difficult actually in that particular way to do it right because sometimes we can say we're giving Allah something but then we I don't know yeah you you trust in Allah you rely upon Allah you know you believe deep down he's going to work it out for you but also you still stress about it and overthink about it and we're so guilty of this all of us we make dua about something but we're still freaking out about it but I think that that's I think you get to a really um, like excellence point with your dua when you really can just make dua about something and then like not even worry about it anymore because you're like you know what I talk to Allah about it why do I need to keep worrying something for sure that we can all work on I'm definitely nowhere near there but I'm just saying it's, a, it's an interesting practice I never heard it before he kind of said it that way like just tell Allah like I don't want this anymore I'm giving it to you you're gonna take care of it for me and that still means that you do what you can, obviously, because du'a is never without action either. You make du'a for the things you want, but you have to put in the work. So yeah, you put in the work, you seek the help where you need it, you, you work to improve yourself and improve whatever the situation is, but you know ultimately it's in the hands of Allah. And I think that is the foundation of du'a. Like you know that ultimately it's all in Allah's control, right? So yeah, I totally took that back, but uh, I just wanted to say it before I forgot. <laughs> I love that a lot. And what's funny is I actually listen to that sheikh all the time. I don't think I've actually ever heard him say that, or maybe I have, and I just never really like noticed that he said it. But something that I do, and I think sometimes just sitting there and visualizing can be really difficult, but something that I do often, and it's a practice that just try once. And if it works for you, that's great. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. We're all different people, right? But sometimes I'll literally be in sujood and I will physically exhale. Like I will audibly exhale. like Just like that. And in that process of exhaling, it's like I'm just letting go. I'm just letting go of whatever it is, whatever these tensions that are, you know, making my shoulders hurt, my neck hurt, whatever. I'm just I'm just letting it go and I'm letting it go to you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am literally, this is the closest I'm ever going to be to you on this earth. And therefore, here you go. Just take it from me, please, because I can't. Sometimes you just can't fathom holding it any longer. And so if you're not the visual type, maybe try that exercise. Because they always say like breathing helps calm down the nervous system and all of these all these different things, you know, you know. So that's a practice that you can try to put in place and try to implement in your solo. And you'll find that A, 
at least for me, right? I found that when I started doing that, A, I wanted to stay in sujood so much longer because every once in a while, it feels like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is literally right there. I mean, he's always right there, but sometimes you can actually feel that sense of closeness and B, you come, you do your sujood multiple times throughout your salah. It's not like it's just once, right? So it forces you to continuously let go. I mean, one of the pillars of our prayer is saying, well, Allahu Akbar, Allah is greatest. Allah is greater than all of my problems, all of my struggles, all of my X, Y, or Z, right? So if you truly embody that and you truly believe that when you go into sujood and you let go of whatever it is, you understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can help you hold the weight of it because he is greater than whatever it is that is bogging you down, whatever it is that is that is causing you your heart to be very, very heavy. Um, so I think that's just a little piece of advice to add on to Sumayya's. I think another thing too, as, you're, as you were talking, um, you reminded me of this reflection that I wrote and I wanted to, to I'll share one now and then one later, but you were talking about how like sometimes something along the lines of, I can't even remember exactly what you said, but something along the lines of just, you have to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he's, it's, you know, you, you were saying, is he not sufficient for you? Is he not sufficient for us, right? And the reality is sometimes when we go to all of the other doors and we go to all of the other people, it's not necessarily that we truly believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not sufficient for us, but we are acting upon this subconscious feeling that we have to go to something that's tangible. We have to go to someone that's literally right there because that'll be quote unquote sufficient for us but the reality is when you do that all of the doors are going to be shut in your face because that you're not going to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first um and so you have to understand that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most generous he's the he's you know most forgiving all of these things he's the most he's whatever adjective positive adjective you can possibly give something he is all of it you know right and so when you understand that and you understand that um, you're you're going to you're going to a being you're going to Allah subhanahu wa taala who is all of these things. You end up becoming more generous because you're seeking from the right source. You become more helpful because you are you become more hopeful because you understand that nothing is impossible. And when you give from a place of richness, you don't need to keep track of you don't need to be selfish, right? You don't need to keep track of what other people have done for you because Allah subhanahu wa taala is the one that's constantly filling your cup. He's the one that's that's constantly pouring into your plate, into your bowl, right? So it's an endless, continuous source. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That's what you can have access to if you go to him first, right? So when you take from that continuous source, you're going to give and you're going to continuously give. And through that, you're going to have your du'as answered and you may be the answer to someone else's du'as. And I think that's something that's taken me a long time to realize, but Seriously, sometimes you just being around answers a du'a that someone has been desperately saying, desperately pleading, and you will never, ever know. But it's because you went to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. You go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, and He fills your plate. He fill, I mean, He fills your cup, right? And so therefore, you're able to fill other people's cup. You're able to help other people. You're able to provide for other people because you're going to the, you're going to the ultimate source. You're going to the infinite source right, of goodness, of reward, of, of, of bounty, of all of these things, recognize that that's what du'a'at can open for you. That is what du'a'at, those are the doors that du'a'at can open. It's, it's truly remarkable, and you'll see it in your life. You really will. You'll see it. You'll become not only, 
you you will notice that when something doesn't happen the way you necessarily want it, you understand that that's better for me because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is diverting an evil for me. Or that you might have a treasure stored in Jannah like Samaya was talking about. I mean, think about it, right? Think about when we get into Jannah and just try to visualize it. What treasures are going to be stored? What have you asked for in your life that you feel like seemingly hasn't been answered? And it might not necessarily be that. It might that be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give it to you so much, but he's not able to in this life in the capacity he feels you deserve it, or in the capacity he chooses to reward you. And therefore, he's saving it. What things are going to be saved for you in the hereafter? What treasures are going to be stored for you? I often remind myself of that a lot, because sometimes it just feels like things just aren't working out. Sometimes it feels like that. But I have to remind myself, no, it's not that at all. It's that either I'm being protected, and I will I will take protection from whatever it is Allah SWT needs to protect me from, or it's that when I pass, because this life is a lowly life. That's what Hayat al-Dunya literally translates to, right? Why would I want it in this lowly life? right? If I'm not going to get it in this life, that's fine. As long as I get it in the next, I will be happy, you know? Think of that. Change the mindset. Reframe how you are viewing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Reframe how you are dealing with your hardships. Reframe all of that. And does that mean that some days it's not... I mean, does that mean it's always going to be easy to deal with things when you are tested? No, absolutely not. I mean, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu he was the best of mankind, and therefore, because of how amazing and great of a person he was, he was tested the most. But does that mean he always, you know, easily flew through his tests? Right? Does that mean he was always a breeze for him to get through things? Ta'if was the hardest day of his life. You know, that's what he re- recounts, that his hardest moment in his life was Ta'if, when basically a whole town of people basically like went against him and humiliated him he doesn't even remember the walk back from Taif. he doesn't it that was how debilitating that was but that's a lesson for all of us that didn't stop him that didn't make him become a person of revenge make him become a person of yes destroy all the people of Taif. no he knew that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the endless source is going to provide for him so he's going to make a generous du'a towards these people He's going to become he's going to be the better person in this situation. He's not going to give up on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just to, um, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just because his actions may not have necessarily gave, give, might not have necessarily been given the best response at first. That doesn't mean he's going to give up the first time. He's going to keep trying. What did he do? He asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide those people. Right? And that's what happened at the end of the day, right? They're children. So really look to the prophets as lessons. Look to look to the stories of the ones that are most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you'll also find within those stories that they are the ones that are the most tested. And then think about yourself and think about how much you have been tested and then realize the love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must have for you because he's tested you so, so much, right? Sometimes tests are a form of purification. Other times it's really just to uncover those hidden layers within you. What's hiding within you? What potential can be shown if you go through this, right? You you have to like you have to recognize that. You have to change your perspective. Otherwise, things are going to feel pur- purposeless. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to fit into that category of being a person who remembers Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala while while sitting standing and lying on their sides. Remember this. It's so incredibly crucial to not only relationships with Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala but your relationship with other people. I love that. I love that a lot. I feel like 
I really loved when you said that maybe Allah wants to give you so much that he can't give you here. Not because he's incapable of that, but because it's not fitting for this life. Maybe he wants to give you so much, but he can't do that here. I love that point a lot. I think that that's really beautiful. And then when Asil was talking about how you could be the answer to someone's dua, that's something I try to remind myself of so much. Like you don't know, you know, a lot of people don't know the duas that you make. And that's that's how it should be, right? Yeah. But and, and in that same way, you don't know the draw of other people. So you have no idea. And I think about that sometimes, like when I'm able to help someone with something or whatnot, and I'm like, I wonder how much draw this person made for someone to help them or for help in general in that situation. Allah chose you to carry out this person's dua, this person's answer to their prayer. Like how honorable is that right and this all just really ties back to character and treatment and how you deal with the people and i think it's also very interesting that asil was talking about you know this whole concept of when you have dua like you're able to handle your hardships better and it's true but also you do have those days where you're not very aware of that you know where even maybe you're in salah and you're supposed to be Allah, you're supposed to be, you know, really reflecting on this fact that Allah is greater, but what's going through your mind? Literally everything else. Or you go into sujood and you just start crying. Because you're thinking about those things in the world, this worldly life that are hurting you. It's okay to have these ups and downs. But it, it really, it is a true point that, you know, even, even when you're down, even when you're super down, even when you're really low... You're not supposed to feel the sense of hopelessness. And that's something I actually want to bring up. Um, with everything that's been happening in Gaza for the past way too long, um, and, may Allah, and may Allah free, free Gaza and, and the people in the world that are suffering and being oppressed everywhere. But I hate it when people say, Muslim people say, I feel hopeless. That's honestly a very big pet peeve of mine because I'm like, what do you mean? We can feel helpless and we do feel helpless because we're sitting here in just so much blessing, right? And we don't feel like we can do very much, but hopelessness, I, I don't think a Muslim should ever feel hopeless, right? And I pray that Allah never tests me with a situation where, you know, that could be a, a very, I don't want, I mean, like a valid sort of response, but um, how are you going to be hopeless? Like, just like, just like Asif said, when Allah is everything, the source of everything, how can you then feel hopeless? When you say you feel hopeless, that means you also feel hopeless in the power of Allah. Or that you feel hopeless in the ability of Allah, which is so, like, wrong. Astaghfirullah. You know, we can feel helpless, we can feel sad and depressed and anxious and worried and fearful. But hopelessness means that you've given up hope on God. And that is something that you just can't do. Right? That's something that you should not do. And how do you prevent that? By remembering all of these things that we're talking about. Remembering that Allah is there listening. Remembering that Allah has granted you so many things. He's taking care of you. He's watching over you. Don't fall into hopelessness. Don't tell yourself that you feel hopeless. Right? Instead, again, recognize there's a difference between helplessness and hopelessness. Recognize that hopelessness is directly attached to the connection that you have with Allah. So we can't we can't be hopeless as Muslims because our hope lies in Allah and Allah is very capable 
of granting us everything, even those things that feel impossible. Now, just, um, you know, one thing that I want to mention here, I don't know how long we've been recording one for. One hour and three minutes um, and 27 okay, seconds. Okay, great. I need to, I need to go get homework done. But um, going kind of back to the beginning of this episode, when Asid was talking about the magnitude of dua and how dua is ibadah, according to the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. Something else I want to just emphasize here towards the end um, is that dua is the only act of worship that has been specified to change qadr, right? Asid uh, was talking about, you know, this decree earlier of, you know, whatever Allah has decreed for me is best for me. I have to believe that dua is the only act of worship that has ever been said to change qadr. So that also just goes to show you how big this act of worship is. Right? Allah said it specifically about the dua. The dua changes the decree. And it's not like Allah doesn't know that change in decree is going to happen. Of course he does. But maybe Allah was, you know, planning to have a certain thing happen to you. But he knew then you're going to make dua and it's going to go a very different way. So your dua has the ability. You talking to Allah in that way has the ability to change the course of your life. Right? That is so important. And we have to recognize this more. We have to reflect on this thought a little bit more. Like this dua that I could be making could be changing the entire course of my life. So why aren't you making that dua? And that doesn't mean that you become discouraged if you're asking for a change in your life and you're not seeing it. And I'm not going to go into why because we just spent an hour doing that, right? But your dua, that's how heavy it is. It can change the path of your life. Right? So, yeah. I have one more point and then we can end off. Um, but you're talking about this concept of changing and sometimes you utter a dua and you think that once is sufficient. You think that saying it one time is enough. But something in you is like, I just, I just yearn for it. I really want it more. So you keep saying that dua. You keep saying that dua. You keep saying that dua. And I like to think of it as, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate or not, but this is what also helps motivate me but I like to think of it as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspiring me to make more dua he's the one that puts those feelings in your heart in the first place right he's the one that's inspiring you to keep saying it on your tongue just keep 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 it might just be that one last time you needed to say that it's going to change whatever decree Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala originally bestowed it could change the path of your life right don't give up don't give up and I really really like Sumaya's um, perspective on the difference between hopelessness and helplessness and in fact I never thought of it that way and that's why I love having conversations like this but it's it's really really incredibly true you can feel helpless as in as in that nothing of this worldly sense might necessarily be able to help you so you you keep going to Allah from the beginning you you go to Allah and you still keep going to his help until you go to going and going to him until you feel his help but hopelessness is an entirely different um, scenario. I feel like when you have hopelessness, you fall into that category of just people who don't call. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are the callers, but sometimes we don't call. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will answer our call. His response is certain, but our call is not. So remember that, that it's, it's this whole concept of, you know, tying your camel and putting trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tying your camel in this case is making du'at. It's doing your part. It's having, it's obviously keep going with your day to day. You keep doing what you're doing, right? But you also recognize that you make this dot and from there, 
exhale and you leave it to Allah. I was listening to a podcast earlier while I was working out. I don't even know. It wasn't a podcast, actually. It was a Yasmin Mujahid lecture, but it was from like 2020, okay? This thing was super old, so I can't even give you the name of it. It just happened to start playing. Um, and she said something. She said that whatever you focus on, it's going to magnify. So focus on your, and this is something I'm adding, and she was talking about problems. When we focus on a problem, it tends to magnify. When you have a cramp, for example, and you focus on the cramp, and you keep focusing and focusing on it, you're going to really feel the pain of that cramp, right? Or you have a toothache or something silly like that, right? Those are all physical examples. But I also want to say the opposite tr is true. Focus on your love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Focus on the love you have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it will amplify. It will continue to magnify. It will continue to grow. And in order to do that, you have to utilize this concept of du'a. You have to utilize this. Think about it. This was something I saw on Instagram, but I felt like it was really, really relevant. But it was, something, it was a quote and it just said, when has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala done something personal for you? Mm. And... At first, I thought that was like, oh, whoa, wow. And then I realized everything in my life, yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done, and it has been personal, chosen for me. Chosen for the Asil that was, you know, whoever she was when she was two years old. Chosen for Asil, whoever she was when she was five years old. Chosen for Asil, whenever she was 16, 17, 18 years old. He chose that for me. Every single thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ever given to me has been a personal choice for me it has been what has been best for me and you know what i will take it i will take it and i will and i will cherish it i'll cherish the hardships i'll cherish the grief i'll cherish the pain i'll cherish the rewards i'll cherish the blessings right and when you remember that your life will become easier and you'll notice things manifesting in ways that they that they never did before right and I have, do you have anything to say or can I? I do. Okay. I, I just wanted to say that, you know, you were talking, and first of all, I loved that last part. It was so, so good. But um, you were talking about how, you know, don't just make dua for something once. Keep going. Keep asking. Maybe it's just that one last time. I want to take it an opposite perspective. Sometimes we make a dua once and we, we kind of forget about it. And in a way, we're just kind of like, oh, whatever. Like, it's not that important. I'll just make the dua one time. Like, I don't need to keep making dua about this thing. And then a few weeks later, you'll be like, whoa, I didn't even think about this dua after that one time I made it. And here it is playing out right in front of me. Right? So, yes, sometimes you keep calling, you keep asking. But one time, it's not insufficient or insufficient, whatever the word is. Right? Sometimes you'll make dua once for something or twice, whatever. And then you just kind of leave it. You're like, whatever, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, whatever, it's fine. And then it plays out right in front of you. And then really just my last point here is a, a hadith that I mentioned, that I just remembered that I want to mention, where we're told that Allah is shy yeah. to leave a person who is calling upon him with their hands outstretched to the sky. Allah is shy of leaving that person's hands empty when they call upon him. And I think that that's beautiful. Right? Allah is too shy to leave you when you're there and you're praying, right? With your hands raised. Allah is too shy to leave you empty handed. So, what are you waiting for? Right? What is it that's stopping you from making that dua? What is it, what is it that's stopping you from having this connection with Allah? What is stopping you from building that relationship? Allah is too shy to leave you empty handed. He's not going to leave you with nothing. 
he's going to give you because he he doesn't want to do anything else. He wants to hear you make dua. He wants to hear you calling upon him, begging him, coming to him over and over and over again. Why aren't you giving that to him when he's given you everything else? Right? So, yeah. I love that a lot. And Okay, I'm just going to say this one. <laughs> it's really short, and then I'm going to read my reflection because I think that it's, it's a reminder that we can all keep in mind. Um, but you're talking about this concept of shyness, and I absolutely love that hadith. And something, too, is... Don't be shy in front of your Lord. Mm. Like kind of like how Samaya said, but even when it comes to, for example, you'll often find that while you're praying, and I think I've experienced this, I experienced this rather recently, actually. Um, and you're just, sometimes you're very connected. In that moment, something has inspired you to just be extremely connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You'd like, you feel that, that, that sense of closeness, but then there are other people around you and you almost become shy. You're almost like, I need to turn it off. No, embrace it. And I'm speaking to myself first because I am like this. I do this all the time where sometimes it's just like, well, no, no, no. I don't want people to see this sense of vulnerability. I don't want people to see this. But at the same time, if you're if you're someone who it's hard to become vulnerable, or if you're someone who it's hard to f- embrace that vulnerability even with yourself, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it to you in a moment, especially like salah, especially if it's like 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 in congregation, whether it be fajr, asha, jama'ah, whatever it may be, and he's given you the opportunity to be vulnerable with him, Take it, embrace it, embrace the feelings, embrace the emotion. That might be the dot that'll be answered. That might be the moment that you need it to truly change your perspective on whatever it is that you're going through. That might be the moment, right? And I'm telling myself this first, but then I'm telling all of you, if you're that person who it can be really hard, once you're given a moment like that, just embrace it, like seriously. And then my little um, tidbit that I wanted to add, and I will say, because I've read this so many times, some of the things that I said earlier, kind of, you're going to hear it again here, but um, the, the message is there, right? So um, think about a person, uh, think about a person you love to talk to, someone who you just wanted to talk to simply because you adore them. Think about how you want to spoil them and gift them with things. Think about how you just want to hear them and listen to them think. I envision our relationship with Allah the same way. Al-Samir wants to hear us. Al-Wahhab wants to gift us. Al-Mujib wants to answer us. Remember, our call isn't certain, but Allah's response and gift response is. Allah's gifts certainly are. So ask, verily Allah is more. Allah is always more. Allow Allah to become so accustomed to your voice so when you meet him, so when you meet him, it's like he is meeting an old friend. That's all we want. We want to become friends with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, that's the highest level of success. So allow him to know you so well because you chose to open up to him, because you chose to speak to him. So on that day, he will choose to speak to you. So I just want to leave it there. If somebody has any thoughts or we can close off. With that, I'm going to make a dua, talking about the duas, but I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to hear each and every one of us, to help us through whatever it is that we're going through, whether it be something that the whole world about knows about or no one knows about. Um, and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and continue to bring us closer to him and allow us to always feel his sense of closeness enveloping us. Mm-hmm. So with that, thank you guys so, so much for listening. And inshallah, you'll hear from us next week.